Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be on the natural order. This is one that I have been looking forward to for a while and been threatening for a few episodes now and we are finally here. I should probably give the disclaimer that if you have not listened to other episodes of this podcast, I would highly recommend that you do so. At a minimum, go back to the beginning of this season, episode 3.0, that's season 3, or ideally, you go back to episode 1 at the very beginning of the podcast because everything builds as I go through the ideas, the concepts, the philosophies, the history, the events, all of these things, they build on each other, and that is the goal of the podcast. So if you just come in somewhere at the end and you don't have that information prior, it's not going to be as useful for you. You're not going to get as much out of it. So that's my recommendation at least, but do as you will. So with this episode, the idea is that There are fundamental laws of the universe, that all creation has a natural order to it. There are these universal principles that exist, and that is a theory, I guess. I can't necessarily prove it, but it is a theory that I think is very solid. There is a lot to back it up. A lot of people will resonate very well with that, and it's one that has not been clearly defined that I can find. So maybe it has been, I just don't know about it, but I have not been able to find some sort of structure, framework, or definition of this natural order beyond something very simplified. And so since I have been talking about the early church, and that's what this season is, the comparison of the early church to some modern alternative and resistance movements, so to say, the Things that I've been covering in the past few episodes have been about the philosophies and theology of the early church, how they would have viewed the world, where their morality came from, that type of thing. And so this episode is going to go a little bit deeper than those things. So instead of going back to the scriptures or theology like the early church mainly would do, I'm going to go to something that is referenced in scriptures. So the early church definitely would have been very familiar with this idea. It's also referenced in Greek philosophy, as I mentioned in the previous episode. So this is a little more universal, but it is definitely backed up by at least the beliefs and the philosophies of the early church, which is the you know example for this episode, like I've said. And so that's what I am doing here, is trying to define this a little more clearly, getting back to what this natural order really is. To give you an outline for what is included in this episode, I have broken it down into some very fundamental categories and then some basic principles under each category. So the categories would be existence, time, and order. And then the uh, principles under those, under existence, is life, love, and sacrifice. Under time is cycles, progression, and causality. Under order would be hierarchy, specialization, and meaning. And then there is also another category that's outside of this. So you have the light 
perspective, so to say, and you have the dark perspective, so to say. The dark is always a perversion of the light. And so when in the dark section of this, you have the categories of death, predation, and chaos. I will also highlight ahead of time that at the end of the light principles and at the end of the dark principles are kind of the cornerstones of these two groupings. And that would be on the light side, meaning, and on the dark side, perversion. So meaning would be under the category of order and perversion would be under the category of chaos. But those are kind of the summary principles that really have the most meaning for our application, at least in my opinion. So getting to the very first section here, we will start with the principles of light. And this is the light side of the natural order. The first category here would be existence. And this is pretty self-evident that things exist. That is one of the basic fundamental rules of our universe and our reality. That's the whole point of creation. And so that is where we will begin, is with existence. Now, under this category of existence, the first principle would be life. So things do exist, but not only do things exist, things are alive. There is life in the universe. Now, not only is there life, but life is promoted on a macro level. It's as if everything has a drive to promote life. You have propagation, you have survival, you have support of other life. These are basic fundamental aspects of life and how our reality is structured. So not only are individual entities, individual life forms instinctually driven to survive. Self-survival is one of the strongest instincts in just about every life form there is in our reality. The other strongest instinct is the propagation of life. It is to ensure the long-term survival of the species. It is to procreate and create new life and to grow your species, grow your family, and this urge to mate or to have children or to divide and spread. These are natural instincts within life forms in our reality. But not only is it just the drive for self-survival and the drive for procreation, there is also this aspect of supporting life within the system of our reality. And this is not always intentional. There are these relationships between life forms in our reality. For example, human beings could not survive without all of the life forms that live within us. Our bodies are made up of a large portion of other life forms, of bacterias and things like this. And so it's not necessarily that those bacterias have an instinct for promoting and prolonging human life. It's just part of how things work, that life forms support other life forms. You have the food chain and ecosystems and all of these things. And a lot of these will come up 
uh, more specifically in some of the next principles, but it's just this aspect that I want to highlight from a macro level here that life does support life, that the universe does support life, that our planet especially supports life. Our planet, the planet Earth, is in a very specific setting to promote life. It is pretty much the perfect distance from the sun, the way the earth rotates, the placement of different things, the way that the weather works, and just all of these different things, the chemical compositions of things, the air and what it is made up of, all of these things, the existence of water even, all of these are for the promotion of life. They all work together to promote and create more life. Life is one of the basic principles of the natural order. So the next principle under this first category of existence would be love. And when I say love, I'm not necessarily just saying that things have an affection for other things, that, that I don't believe that would be a basic principle. But what I am saying is that life is connected, that life all works together. You have organisms that they act to continue life of their family, not just themselves. So again, it's not just cell survival. It is that organisms will operate in such a way that their family, their children, their species, their tribe, whatever, that they are going to be better off than they would have been without this bond, without this connection, without this love. And so love is one of the other basic instincts of organisms. When most animals have children, there is this natural instinct and bond to take care of those children. Now, sometimes that is just preparing the ability for those children to survive. So you have some animals that will lay eggs or uh, give birth in some other way, but do it in a way where they do that act. They produce the eggs or give birth, and then they go away. And you would think, well, that's not very loving. They're just leaving and abandoning their children. But what they have done is set it up such that those children have a good chance of survival, even without the parent there, or sometimes because the parent isn't there. And giving them more space and privacy and not attracting predators to that area, setting up the nest in such a way that it will hatch out the eggs and will do so in a place that has food and protection for the young. These types of things, these are acts of love. It's not just caring for the organism itself. It's caring for the offspring of the organism. Although I am trying to go back to nature for the majority of this natural order framework, these things can be very clearly seen within the human species. This is something that makes it even easier. I could have done this pretty easily by just looking at humanity. But the whole point is that it's not just humanity. It is all of the natural order. But when you look at humanity, not only do we have all those instincts that I mentioned under the principle of life, but we also have these instincts under the principle of love, where we have love for our family, for our children, for our friends, for those around us. If you go back to the biblical principle of love your neighbor, and that being the basis for the entire law, 
that is part of it. It is this natural instinct to love. We have these bonds with one another. We have these instincts to grow close together, to help one another, not just to be selfish and look out for myself, but to also help other people. And that is the second principle of this category of existence. Now, the third, and you might have noticed, or you should notice at least by this one, that these are building on each other. So love builds on the principle of life. And this third principle under the existence category would be sacrifice. Now, sacrifice, again, builds on this principle of love. So with this idea, this concept of sacrifice, it can either be benign or it can be intentional. So there are two ways of looking at this. Uh, The same with what I had mentioned with life and the same as some of these other principles and categories. But with sacrifice, we'll start off with the benign aspect first because that's something that we just see that this is part of how our reality, how nature functions is with this component of sacrifice. So you have an aspect such as leaves of trees. So you have trees that have these leaves, and that's how they uh, create this process of photosynthesis. That's how they survive and thrive. Well, at some point in the season, many trees will lose their leaves. So their leaves will die and they will fall off. And that's an important part of a tree. And so there is this aspect of sacrifice where these leaves are falling from the trees, they're falling on the ground. And what happens? Well, they decompose to create better soil. They give an environment for many different organisms to live in, whether that be bugs or caterpillars or frogs and toads, or it could be snakes, or it could be even fungi or different things like that, different bacterias. But either way, the death of these leaves on the trees and this aspect of death coming off of the tree, the sacrifice, then promotes life for the other organisms around it, and they are all connected, this principle of love. And so you can see how that builds. And with this, you have another example that is both benign and possibly not. I don't really know how to categorize it, but that would be spiders. You have many different species of spiders that die to produce offspring. And this can take many forms. You have some where when the male mates with the female, the male dies or the male is killed. And so that life of the male spider is sacrificed for this process of procreation and for the creation of new life. And that's the basic, that's the most important aspect of sacrifice is that things are sacrificed for the promotion of life, for the promotion of love. These principles build on each other. It's not just that something is sacrificed for the sake of sacrificing it or to make something feel better. No, it has to back up these other principles. All of these principles work together. And if they don't, if there is a conflict, then there's probably something deeper that we need to explore. It's not the fault, and it is not a contradiction within the framework, it's probably a contradiction in interpretation. So getting back to this idea of the spiders, not only are there times when the male spider dies, you also have the female spider that dies with different spider species. So 
you can have some where when the female lays the eggs, the female dies. You have some where when the eggs hatch, the baby spiders eat the mother spider. And so her life is sacrificed either way for the promotion of her children, of the offspring, of continuing this species. It's this act of sacrifice for the promotion of life. Another just kind of basic example in nature would be fire going through a forest. You have a fire going through the forest and you have death and destruction. And you would think that this is a very negative thing. This would go against the principles of the natural order. And in a way, it does. But it is used as a form of sacrifice to promote life and for all things to work together in love. And so as a fire sweeps through a forest, it does burn things down. It does destroy things. And there is this negative component to it. But these things are sacrificed for the sake of new life that then comes in afterwards. There are certain seeds that will only open up at certain temperatures that are reached within the heat of a fire. There are certain animals that thrive on the ash and different bacterias that thrive under those conditions. You have this aspect of clearing areas so that then smaller things like grasses and things can grow for the promotion of other species that eat those that can't really survive in the dense, thick, dark forests. And so you have all of these different aspects where after a fire comes through, within a few years, that area is thriving with life. It is teeming with life even more so than it was before the fire came through. So when the fire came through, the things that it destroyed were sacrificed for the sake of the things after. And again, what I'm saying is that this is more of a benign aspect. It's not necessarily intentional. It's not like the fire has a mind of its own and it is intentionally destroying these things in order to promote these other life forms under some master plan. No, what I am saying is that this is just a basic law of our reality, of our universe, of nature. This is how nature functions. This principle of sacrifice is in existence in so many different forms. We can see it play out over and over again in many different examples. You have intentional examples as well. So people are another very good example here where human beings have an instinct to sacrifice for the sake of others. Think about parents, how parents will give their lives for the life of their children, or they will sacrifice their time, their energy, their pride for the betterment of their children so their children can live a better life, so their children can be better off, so their children can survive. They will sacrifice for the sake of their children. And again, this is bound in the previous principle of love, supporting the even previous principle of life. They all work together. We will get into some other examples and later principles, but you have this aspect of how people and life forms and animals, how we all will sacrifice something that we have, whether that be time or energy or effort or 
whatever mental capacity, we will sacrifice these things for the sake of something better, for the sake of progressing towards a profit, so to say. And again, I'll get into that here shortly. But these principles, keep in mind, they do build on each other. But these ones that I just went over, life, love, and sacrifice, wrap up this first category of existence. So within the natural order, things exist, and the existence of things are structured within these principles of life, love, and sacrifice. That is how existence operates. Now, moving on to the next category of the light natural order, that would be time. So we could definitely see that time exists. Time is a thing. Events happen within time. Existence happens within time. There is this component of time where there is a past, a present, and a future, and that is how our reality functions. That's how nature functions. That's how things are. That is part of the natural order. So within this category of time, we can pull out some basic principles that fit under that category. Those principles would begin with the principle of cycles. So within time, we have cycles that happen. All things exist within cycles, whether that be the most basic cycle of life and death, or that be a more natural cycle for the entire planet, something like seasons or days or weather you could even get more complex and look at ecosystems and how there are these cycles within various ecosystems. Kind of like I mentioned with the leaves from a tree, there is this cycle that happens where the tree loses its leaves and that provides shelter and an environment for other life to thrive. And as that life thrives, those leaves are broken down generally through the process of that other life being there, the bacteria, the animals, all of the things. And that then improves the soil and adds nutrients to the soil that the tree then gets through its roots that spread into that soil and help that tree to grow even stronger with even more life. And it produces leaves for the next spring. And it is this cycle that happens over and over again. Another good example of this might be a pasture. So if you look at like permaculture or the way natural ecosystems work without human intervention, let's look at the example of how a grassland would continue throughout different cycles. So you have, let's say, a grassland in its natural state. Then you have a group of herd animals that come through this grassland. And as they do, they're eating the grasses. They are trampling the grasses. They are probably eating a lot of the small shrubs and small trees that are trying to grow up and they are keeping those down and pruned so that you don't have trees that come and block out the sun and, you know, change that pasture into forest. And then you also have the animals fertilizing the area as they're going through, they're eating, they're pooping on the ground, and that is fertilizing that soil there and that grass. And so they have mowed down this field, they fertilized it, they trampled it down, they've kept it in check, pruned it, and then they move on. 
And once they move on, you have other creatures that come in, whether that be insects or birds or other things. Or again, if you look in the permaculture way of doing things, typically someone would run their cows or herd animals through a pasture, through a field, and then they'll run something like chickens behind them, where the chickens will peck at the fly larva in the manure, and they'll scratch it up, and they'll stir it around, and they'll mix it in with the soil. They'll eat a lot of the bugs that are attracted by this process of the herd just moving through there. They will eat a lot more of the vegetation that may be smaller or maybe stuff that the herd animals did not want or did not eat. And so they will continue this process, and then they will move on. And now this grassland, this pasture has been pruned, it's been fertilized, it's been conditioned, it's had all of these beneficial things that have happened to it, and the grass then starts to grow again. And it will grow back stronger and healthier with better soil. And you know this if you are familiar with plants and gardening and things like this, where when you prune something back, if you do it properly, it will grow back with more life. It'll grow back bigger and stronger and healthier, producing more if you do prune it versus if you don't prune it at all, it doesn't have that burst of life that comes out in the next season, in the next cycle. And so with this grassland, with this pasture, that next part of the cycle is it coming back to life and it growing back and it growing back strong and healthy and nutritious. And then you have herd animals that come back through again and you have this cycle that happens. This cycle is something that could even be applied to something like history. So if you're familiar with the past probably two dozen episodes that I've done, the the historical cycles, these patterns in history are something that are fundamental laws of our reality. We can see it happening over and over and over again. And we see that there is this cyclical component to history itself. You could also look at it from the perspective of human nature and emotion, where we go through different cycles of how we view things and how we feel. And we need opposites. Opposites are necessary for the appreciation of each other. And so if I am feeling sad, at some point, I will be feeling happy. These things happen in cycles. I'm not just going to be sad the rest of my life, and I'm not just going to be happy the rest of my life. I'm not going to be any emotion for my entire life. Things change. And that is a component of time, and that is a component of some of these other things, like cycles, this basic principle here. And so when I am happy, I am feeling good. And something will happen, things happen in our lives, things progress, and as this does, our emotions will change. But if I had never been happy, and I had always been sad, then the definition of sad wouldn't necessarily be very clear to me because it's just a normal state of being. Same with the opposite. If I'm just always happy, then it's really hard for me to appreciate that happiness because I have not experienced the opposite. I haven't experienced sadness. I haven't experienced loneliness. And so I don't necessarily appreciate what I do have. There's that basic principle that a lot of people talk about where you don't appreciate something until you don't have it. And I would say that you don't appreciate something until you have experienced the opposite. And that is part of this cycle. Things go through these cycles of one thing 
thing to the opposite, back to the original. This is part of the cyclical nature of the natural order of the world we live in. The next principle under this category of time on the light side of the natural order would be progression. So we have time that does exist. It's part of our reality. And within time, we have cycles. But not only do we have cycles, we also have progression. That's this next principle. So I talked about how history, for example, does occur in cycles. You have this cyclical component to history. There is also a linear and progressive aspect to history where as history continues, as time progresses, you have this progression of civilizations, of evolution, of understanding, all of these types of things, there is a progression here. Now, that progression is not only linear, just like it is not only cyclical. It is both. It is like a spiral that is continuing forward, but also around and around and around in a circle. So when you start, think of a roller coaster that has multiple loop-de-loops in a row. When you start off on that roller coaster and it shoots you forward, you're going forward and you're going up and then you loop back around. So you're going backwards and you cycle back down to the original place where that loop started. You've gone all the way around the loop. But once you've gone around the loop, you're still going forward before you get to the beginning of that next loop. And when you get to that next loop, you go up, you go forward, you go up, and then you come all the way back around, back down to the bottom of the loop before you progress forward even further. So it's this cycle of going through these loops of going forwards, up, and backwards and down. But as you go through these cycles, you're also moving forward. There is also this progression, this linear aspect. And that is how history occurs. That's how the natural order is structured. If you consider various species of animals and different organisms, you have this playing out where species continue, species evolve. You have this aspect of animals that adapt over time. They are progressing. They're not regressing. They're not going back and being less capable of surviving. They are being more capable of surviving as time goes on. That's what evolution is. That's what progress is. And progress is a basic component of the natural order. That's what I am saying here. And again, it builds on the previous examples. So what is progressing? What are we talking about? It all goes back to the beginning. It goes back to life. It's all the progress of life. And as life continues through time, we have this basic principle of progress that we can see playing out. Now, you can see this also in ecosystems where over time, ecosystems gain in balance. So you have this cyclical component as well, where ecosystems will go through these cycles, where if there is an imbalance of something, let's say you have a pond, and that pond gets an imbalance of some type of fish. And so you have these fish, let's just say they're minnows, and there's too many minnows in the pond. So that ecosystem of the pond is now out of balance. Well, what's going to happen? Well, you're probably going to have more predators that come in because there is this abundant food source of minnows. And so that group of predators will come in. They will 
consume the minnows and eat their fill and continue to prey upon them until that population is such that they're not as easy of a food source than other things, or until they've decimated that food source enough that there's not enough to sustain the population of the predator. Let's say it's frogs. So you had all these frogs come in to eat the minnows because they're abundant. And then once they've eaten a lot of the minnows, the minnows are really hard to catch because there's not as many and the frogs can't continue to survive in the numbers they are in now because their numbers have exploded because they have this abundance in food. They've had so many eggs and tadpoles and the young frogs have had plenty of food there in this pond. So now you have an abundance of population of frogs. Well, again, what happens? Other predators come in and they eat the frogs and all of these things happen. And over time, as these things happen, you get the populations back in check. Other components of the ecosystem will take advantage of these easy profits that exist within this ecosystem. And the linear aspect of this is that over time, that ecosystem of that pond gets to be more and more in balance where it is promoting more and more life, but life in balance, not just going towards this progression of promoting the life of minnows so that the most amount of minnows will exist. No, it's life in general. Life is a macro principle. It is all life. So there will be more minnows and more frogs and more plants and more algae. All of these things, there will be more of everything because things are progressing towards more and more life. And this progression is happening within time and also within these cycles of different populations of different parts of this ecosystem rising and falling and rising and falling and going through these loop-de-loops, going through these spirals of this cyclical nature as it goes along this linear path of time in this order of progression. Things are always progressing. And so that's where we have this principle of progression within the category of time. When we look at this with the human species, with humanity and human nature, wisdom increases with age. And that is kind of a basic axiom that people talk about. You get older and you get wiser. And this is part of that progression where things progress. Now, you also have this cyclical nature, again, of how people are young, then they uh, physically get bigger and healthier and stronger up to a point, and then they typically will get smaller and weaker and eventually will die. People are born and people die, and there is this cycle to this. But there is a more linear progression throughout this cycle where the impact that someone has had on life around them is linear and progressive, where you have more and more of an impact the longer and longer that you have been alive. And the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that you gain throughout your life is progressing the entire time, where it's this progress from the time you're born, you are learning things, you are understanding things, to the time that you are in your old age, and you have amassed this wisdom that has progressed throughout the time period of your life. There is always this progression, and that is then passed on to the next generation as you're interacting with more and more people. Your family is ideally larger. You have kids. They have kids. You have built these relationships throughout your life with people in your community. You have passed along a lot of your knowledge and a lot of your wisdom. So those things, let's just look at that one component of wisdom and knowledge. 
wisdom is passed along and wisdom continues to progress throughout the human species, so to say, even though you have these smaller cycles of people's lives that go through these different cycles throughout this linear path of time. But the progress of wisdom ideally continues forward. But when you go back to something like the Roman Empire and then the what people refer to at least as the Dark Ages afterwards, you have this component that wisdom is kind of curtailed and brought backwards. So under Rome, you had this uh, birth of knowledge and learning and understanding, and that was kind of a height of that civilization. And when Rome fell, you had a lot of knowledge that was lost, a lot of wisdom that was lost. But after the Roman Empire, they were still better off in general than they were before the Roman Empire. And a lot of that wisdom and knowledge was still passed on and still did progress, especially within the monasteries and the monks and certain groups of people that retained that knowledge and then passed it along to further generations and that knowledge continued to progress. So wisdom still progressed, even though you had this cycle of a rise and a fall of the learning of the entire society and civilization. That then brings us to the final principle under this category of time, and that would be causality. So when we look at reality, at the natural order, things exist. That's category one, existence. And we know the principles under that, life, love, and sacrifice. Then we also see that our reality has time as a component. It is structured within this concept of time. And under time, we see cycles that happen. And we also see a progression where things are always progressing towards the promotion of the previous principles of mainly life. And the final aspect of how time operates in the natural order is causality. There is cause and effect. This is something that is just basic. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, and that applies to virtually everything. Now, with this, I think that principle is basic enough that I don't really have to elaborate on it, but I'm going to pull out two specific examples that I think apply very well here. And I somewhat got these from Vin Armani, so I'll give him credit for this. Some of these examples might come from reading his book and talking with him um, because he does bring out some of these components, but uh, also a lot of this is original to trying to elaborate on my own framework here. But under this principle of causality, the first example I want to give is profit. Keeping with the theme of seeing how these principles connect, you could say that progress is always toward profit, where things in general will be better off than they were before. That is always the direction of progress is towards profit. And what is the profit about? Always go back to that first principle of life that life is better off than before, that there is more life than there was before. And on a macro view, that's how things are progressing is towards the profit within life. Now, if you just had things existing within a break-even framework where there is no profit, 
then at the best, you have things that survive. But life does not thrive. So if an animal always expended the same amount of energy to catch its food as it got from consuming that food, then once it consumed the food, it just replenished the energy that it already spent. Now what happens? Well, it has to spend the same amount of energy again to recoup that same amount of energy again and break even. And so either there is energy spent in between that time period of searching for food, or maybe the animal gets injured and can't go on the hunt for an extended period of time, and it has no profits to draw from, so it is losing life. It is losing energy. And when it goes out to hunt again, it can't reclaim any of that. It can't grow back stronger and better. All it can do is break even. And so you should be able to see how this is not a condition for the thriving and the progress of life. And the reason is because there is not profit. When you insert this aspect of profit into this example of, let's say, lioness going out and hunting for food. Well, she goes out and expends, let's say, 10 units of energy catching food. She gets an antelope. She kills it. She brings it back to her family, her pride. And then they consume this antelope, this food. And not only do they restore the energy that they had spent between their last meal and now, but they are also gaining even more energy. They're getting a profit from this meal so that that can carry over into their future endeavors in between now and their next meal. So there is this component of profit. The lioness also has reaped a considerable profit because she is not just getting enough food for herself. She has gotten enough profit to share with the pride, and that was kind of the whole point. The females will go out and hunt and bring it back to the cubs and to the male lion. And so with this, you then have this aspect of profit that is necessary. The lioness has to profit enough to not only restore her own energy and give her some extra to continue on from here, she has to get enough profit to support the tribe, to support the males and the cubs as well. And so this aspect of profit is necessary for that tribe, for the lions to continue to survive and thrive, for life to progress. Another aspect of causation that I think is a really good example is another one that does come from Venn as well. He writes about it in his recent book. It is justice. Now, justice is not just a notion that can come from humanity in the court system. It's something that can be brought into a much more basic understanding. And so this idea of justice is that actions have consequences. Again, this is under the principle of causality. And that's really the basics of justice. When you really get down to a fundamental level, it's that actions have consequences and we need to maintain the balance that is lost when there is some sort of imbalance that occurs. So something happens, it throws things out of balance. Justice would be bringing things back into balance. That is what this example is. That's what justice is. And so the value of action. So let's say you expend 10 units of energy, you get back a certain amount of energy from that expenditure. 
And you have this question of, is it worth it? Was it worth spending 10 units of energy to get back, let's say, eight units of energy? Well, no, that's not worth it. Why would you lose profit? That is not something that you want to do. You want to gain. You, you do want to profit. And so when you have a situation where you are expending a certain amount of money or energy or time or whatever resource you want to talk about, it, what is just is to either get back what you had spent or get back what you have spent and what you deserve beyond what you had spent, a reasonable profit. That would be something that would be considered just. That would be considered worth it. And that is the general goal of action within life. When you have causality, cause and effect, if there is a cause but then there is no effect from that cause or the effect does not match with that cause, then that would be viewed as an injustice. So let's say an action occurs, someone murders somebody else. And if there is no equal and opposite reaction, that would be considered an injustice. If that murderer is never punished, if nothing ever happens to them, they just continue on life as normal, that's considered an injustice. There was a certain loss. There is an imbalance that now exists after that murderer had killed somebody. And so what needs to happen in order for justice to be fulfilled is that you need an equal and opposite reaction. You need that effect to go with the cause. You need that causality to be within balance. You need balance to be restored. And not only that, but you do seek profit. And so not only does that person, the murderer, need to lose their life in some form or fashion, maybe their freedoms are taken away, maybe they have life in prison, maybe they are executed. There are many different options here of losing their life as an equal and opposite reaction to them taking the life of somebody else, but also there needs to be some profit. So sometimes there is torture, there is punishment of some kind that goes on top of this aspect of them losing their life. Sometimes it's profit in the form of knowledge and understanding where we try to figure out why this person can committed this murder, and we try to figure out why and how this happened, and we try to understand this, and we try to bring this to a place where those who are affected can then feel more at peace, where they can be restored to the extent that it is possible to their previous state of existence. We want balance restored, and not only does that mean that the murderer has to be punished, that things have to be back in balance, but you also have all the effects of that murder that have to be brought back in balance for justice to be fulfilled. And so we want the family, the friends, the people to feel at peace to the extent that they can. We want some answers. We want some closure. We want these things. It's not just that we want punishment, and punishment might be part of closure, but we also want the profit of these other things in order to restore the balance and restore this aspect of the natural order of causality. And that is this component of justice. Now, 
within justice as well as within profit, there is another aspect that is worth drawing out here, and that would be that these need to maintain a proper balance. So with justice, it's not that somebody steals a loaf of bread and then they are tortured for 10 years straight. That would not be justice. Even though there is a component of justice there, that person had an action, there was an equal and opposite reaction, there was some profit to that, it was beyond the equality, but that didn't restore balance because that went far beyond. If that person is tortured for 10 years after that just for stealing one little thing, then that is considered generally an injustice. That is an improper use of justice, and that does not fall in line with the balance and this principle of justice as a whole, because it doesn't bring things back into balance. It doesn't fit with these other laws of the natural order. So justice has to be within the framework of balance, everything in balance, everything in moderation. Those are definitely wise things to live by. Now, when you get to profit, it is the same thing. It's not just any profit. It's not excessive amounts of profit. It is a proper amount of profit. Again, it's not excessive. It's balanced and it is shared. So when you have profit, that profit is enough to reap some sort of benefit from your previous expenditure, your previous actions, and something to propel you forward to your next expenditures and your next actions, and any profit that is not needed for those things to repay you the balance from your past and to get you forward into your future to continue that progression of time towards a betterment of life, anything beyond that should be shared with the others of your species or of your family. And again, the lioness is a good example of this where she gets well beyond what she needs when she kills this antelope. And that profit is not only consumed by her to a degree, a proper amount of that, so that she is then able to continue to progress as she goes into the future and goes on another hunt and takes care of the kids, the cubs, and all these kinds of things. But she is also sharing the excess profit with the rest of her tribe. And so again, Profit is a basic principle, just like justice is a basic principle. These are all under the principle of causality, but they all have to be within the framework of all of these other principles, bringing balance and bringing life, not going beyond that. If the lioness kills way more than she can reasonably eat, she has too much profit, excess profit, and she does not share that and she tries to consume it all herself. Number one, that's bad for her. She is overeating. She might even kill herself by doing so. Number two, the males and the cubs and any other females that did not catch something are then going to go hungry. The uh, life of those other components of her tribe is going to diminish because of her actions. And number three, the life of that antelope, the energy and the nutrients and the things there are largely going to go to waste, or at least compared to what would have happened if the others would have consumed it, there is waste. There is a loss of profit there. So when there is excess profit that is not shared, is not brought back into balance, is not made use of, then there is this component of a loss of profit, a loss of life. And everything always goes back to that first principle of life. And so if there is a loss of the value of life, a loss of this progression, a loss of profit, then that is not a just thing. 
And so everything has to be kept within the bounds of the entire framework. This then brings us into the final category under the light side of the natural order. We had existence, things exist, and within that life, love, and sacrifice. We had time, time does exist, and time is a part of our reality. And within time, we have cycles, we have progression, and we have causality. Now, the final category would be order. There is order to existence. There is order to time. There is order to the natural order. There is an order. There is structure. That's why we call it the natural order, because there is an order to this. And to a degree, this kind of is one of the most important aspects of this whole framework. I mentioned how the very last aspect of meaning is one of the most important. Well, I would say it begins and it ends with the most important. And I've always been going back to that first principle of life, and it is all coming around full circle to this final aspect of meaning. But in between there, we have the rest of these principles, and within this, under the category of order, we start off with the principle of hierarchy. Now, since a lot of my listeners would consider themselves libertarians or anarchists or something in that vein, hierarchy might sound like a dirty word to you, but it is part of the natural order. And it is not a negative thing in and of itself. You can see hierarchy throughout many different aspects of nature and of life. You see things like the food chain, where there is a hierarchy of entities, of life forms that exist within the food chain. There's something at the bottom and there is something at the top. That doesn't necessarily denote the value of life, but that is a hierarchy of the order of nature, of our reality. And another example here might be planets and stars and their effects on Earth. Some stars have a greater effect on our planet than others. One of the most basic ways this plays out would be something like the sun and the moon. They have a much greater effect on us than other floating bodies of mass out in space, whatever you want to call them, planets, stars, asteroids, whatever. You have some that are at the top of the hierarchy as far as how they influence the Earth and some at the bottom. There is a hierarchy of things. Within the family unit, you have a hierarchy. This would be that children are at the bottom and adults, parents, are above them and elders are above them and we could go even back to the biblical uh, component here and say that you have children, then you have the mother, then you have the father above them, then you have the elders above him, and so on and so forth. So you have this natural hierarchy of things within the family unit. And even within a society as a whole, you naturally have hierarchy that exists. Those that are strong or intelligent or have a lot of wealth or influence, those are generally at the top of the hierarchy. And those who might not be very intelligent and not be very strong and not have a lot of influence, those are people that would then be at the lower portion of the hierarchy. Now, I will also reiterate here that this does not denote value. Value, especially of human beings, does not derive from what 
people have. It does not derive from the skills that you have, from the wealth that you have, from your physical status. It doesn't derive from any of these things. Human beings have value because they are human beings. And that value is equal whether you have amassed a large amount of wealth or have no wealth, whether you are crippled in some way or whether you are the healthiest and strongest human being around. The value of your life is still derived just from you being a human being. And you as a human being are no different from that perspective than another human being. The value of life doesn't change. But even though value is derived this way, hierarchy still exists outside of value. I just want to make sure you don't get the two confused together. That does happen, especially in our current political climate. But When we look at hierarchy within the natural order, we see that humanity and civilizations and societies, they do order themselves naturally in some sort of hierarchy. Not everything is equal in qualities. Again, we could say that people are equal in value, but they're not necessarily equal in the qualities that they have and their individual characteristics. Some people are smarter than others. Some people are stronger than others. Some people are prettier than others. There is not equality among people from this perspective. There is equality in value, which is what I just talked about. But as far as their skills, their characteristics, their influence, their wealth, their abilities, these things uh, do not have equality. And uh, that is one of the basic components of the natural order is that not all things are equal. And that's part of this framework here talking about hierarchy. It's one component of that. Not everybody is at an equal level. Instead, some are above, some are below, and that is the definition of hierarchy. As always, this then brings us to the next principle. Now, under this category of order within the natural order, we saw that the first principle was hierarchy, and the second principle would be differentiation. And so not only is there an order as far as hierarchy is concerned, partly why this order exists and within this hierarchy is this aspect of differentiation, or maybe you could say specialization, where each organism has a vital niche that it fills. It has certain roles that it will have and that it will carry out, and that is going to be different than the roles and the niche of a different organism. And so one example that I could bring up here would be ants. I think that's a pretty basic one that we can all understand, that each ant has a different role. You have warrior ants, you have gatherer ants, you have a queen, you have all of these different ants that fulfill all of these different roles within some sort of hierarchy, and this is something that occurs naturally. The worker ant is not going to be as good at defending the nest as the warrior ant. There is not equality in these two things. There is differentiation. There is specialization that different ants have different skills and different roles that they all carry out. Again, this is a basic principle of the natural order. The same could be said of bees. Bees are another really good example that live in colonies and the different bees within that colony have different roles. They have different skills. They are better or worse at doing different things and they do the things that they are better at. They specialize in certain areas. 
This is one of the basic components of capitalism as well. If you read The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, that's one of his big points is specialization of labor, that it makes a lot more sense if you have a country, say, that is very good at producing wool, and then you have another country that is very good at producing coal, it makes a lot more sense that the country that's good at producing wool produces wool, and they can do so at the cheapest cost with the highest quality. And then the country that produces coal specializes in only producing coal because they can do so at the highest quality at the cheapest cost. And then the two countries should just trade because that makes a lot more sense than the two countries wasting their resources, wasting their profits, and trying to fulfill roles and specialities that they are not fit for because the two countries are not equal in these areas. They each have their roles, they each have their specializations, and they should stick to those in order to promote the highest profits for the entirety of the civilization within that trade network of the different countries that exist there. And so again, you are promoting life with maximum profits for the promotion of life. And this is done through specialization. This is done through differentiation. We can even see this on a smaller scale within a company. Let's say it's a factory that produces widgets. Now, this factory does have a hierarchy that is pretty natural where you have managers and organizers at the top and you have people doing the menial tasks. Let's say the janitors that maintain this building are probably more at the bottom or the people assembling the parts together would be lower on the hierarchy than the people managing the entire factory that produces these widgets. So you have this natural hierarchy. But part of why this hierarchy exists and part of how all of this plays out is that each one of these people have a differentiation of skills and of abilities and of desire, all of these things. So there are some people that are good at management, but they might not be very good at, let's say, repairing the machines that build the widgets. And you have some people that are very good at assembling widgets, but they're not good at all at managing and relating to people. And so every person has their specialization. They all have a differentiation of abilities. And within this, these are compiled together where people are separated according to this differentiation. And in doing so, profits are maximized for the factory. The most greatest number of widgets are produced at the highest quantity and quality because it is organized under this principle of differentiation. As I alluded to, you even have this in relation to people's preferences. Maybe some people have a preference to be at home with their families, and some people have a preference to work and make as much money as possible. Now, regardless of the value of these things, the morality of these things, let's just stick with the aspect of differentiation. That's the principle we're focused on here. Now, a person might have equal skills as another person in managing people. But maybe this factory that produces widgets is one that requires a lot of management. The people at this management level have to spend a lot of time at the factory managing how things go. So maybe they are putting in 60 hours a week, whereas the people assembling the widgets 
only spend 40 hours a week at the factory on their jobs and the rest of the time they can be at home with their families. Well, even though you might have two people that are equally able to manage and maybe the person with the lower preference for being at work and making a bunch of money might be a better manager, so to say, but the better fit for the factory would be the person that is good at management and is willing and interested in dedicating a lot more time to the factory. And the manager that might be good at management, but has no interest in spending that much time and sacrificing that much time at the factory because they think that they will better life and progress life better within their family if they didn't spend their time in that way. So a different framework of profits, maybe that person would be better getting on the assembly line and helping those people. And that would be a better fit for that person. So the differentiation is not just in skills and abilities. It's also in desire. It's also in the hierarchies that we set up for ourselves in what profit is more valuable. Another example that may at first glance not seem to fit very well, but actually does, would be community. So you would think community is the opposite of specialization. We're talking about an individualistic component here where different people are different and they pursue different things. Then why are we talking about everybody coming together and doing the same thing? Well, because it's at a different level. Community is a natural evolution of specialization. So if someone only specialized in, let's say, raising chickens, because that's something they're very good at, but they did not raise pigs, they didn't have a garden. Let's say that's probably a better example. Let's say they are only doing chickens, but they have no garden. And there is somebody else that is really good at growing vegetables and has a garden, but is not really good at taking care of animals or has no desire to do so, so they don't have chickens. Well, if these people individually are doing these things, the only way that this works for the betterment of life, for the profits of the value of life within that community is if they come together as a community. They have to form a relationship together and trade with one another in order for us to better utilize or to utilize at all these uh, aspects of specialization, of differentiation, of actually making use of that toward the natural order, towards these other principles of life and love and of progression and profit, these types of things, you have to have this component of community. Things have to work together. This occurs within the family. This occurs within different species. This occurs within ecosystems. I mentioned the example of bacteria within the human body that humans wouldn't survive without the other organisms that live within them. This is an example of that. These organisms specialize in a certain thing and different ones specialize in other things. They all have their different niches. They all have their different functions. And if they did not work together in community, then the larger organism at as a whole, at the upper portion of the hierarchy, that would be the human being, that entity would not survive and thrive. Life would not continue or life would not be as profitable if these things were not working together in community. And community is brought together by that principle we talked about earlier of love. All things are connected. All things work together. They are working together towards the continuance of life. That would be the principle of love. So we're kind of coming full circle here, which makes sense because that brings us to the final principle 
of the light side of the natural order. And this would be the principle of meaning. So we're still within this category of order. And within the category of order for the natural order, you have hierarchy, you have differentiation, and you have meaning. And again, I've mentioned multiple times that meaning is one of the most important components of this entire natural order. We have life at the beginning, very first principle, and we have meaning at the end, the very last principle, and they do cycle back around to each other. So when we talk about meaning, we're talking about things like the fact that things don't happen in isolation, that there is some sort of meaning behind actions, behind things that happen. Things happen and there is an effect. So there is some sort of meaning that can be derived by a thing that happens within our reality. So even though that's a little esoteric, let's narrow that down a little bit. When you look at something like actions, like character, like status, even life. These things exist for a reason. There is meaning to these things. There is a reason for the existence of each component, whether it be components of our personalities, whether it be components of who we are as far as our skills and abilities, whether it be the roles that we fill, the place in the hierarchy that we are in, the aspect of differentiation that we are fulfilling, whatever, these all do work for a reason. They work together and there is some sort of meaning there. We all fulfill a role. Human action would be one of the easiest examples here. So if you've read Mises, then this should be very familiar to you what human action is. But uh, to fit it to this principle of meaning, humans act for a reason. And so when we act, we have something we are trying to accomplish. There is some sort of intention that exists there. People don't act for no reason. And even when people choose not to act, there is meaning in that. That is an action in and of itself. The choice to stand aside and not do anything is an active choice. That is an action, even if you are not physically performing some action itself. You are still performing an action that is still considered human action because you are doing something or choosing not to do something in order to fulfill a certain purpose or meaning or you have some intention in doing so. And so we can see how within human nature and within how we live our lives, Everything that we do has some sort of meaning. It has some sort of reasoning behind it. We don't do things for no reason. We do things in order to make a profit, really. We think that the state of things after our actions is going to be better for us than the state of things before our actions. And sometimes not even for us. Go back to the principles of love and sacrifice. Sometimes we think the state of things after our action is going to be better for others than the state of things before our action. But the whole point is overall profit, that things are going to be better because of this action or inaction than they would have been otherwise. And that is meaning. That is a judgment call there that does have meaning. There is a reason for that action. When you look at an ecosystem for a more benign example, there isn't necessarily intentionality behind this, or you could say that God intended for these things. But when we look at something a little more benign, like an ecosystem, 
every organism within that ecosystem plays a role. And it's not just that that organism has a specialization and it's differentiated from the other organisms. It's that there is some sort of meaning in what function that organism fulfills. It's not just that it fulfills a function. It's that there is a meaning within the context of the ecosystem as a whole. Meaning is something that can be derived from the existence of these other things. These things don't exist for no reason. It's not that there is no meaning behind things. It, everything does have a meaning. It does have some reason for being there. And it has a purpose. So with this, we can see that meaning is an important aspect, a very important principle in all of reality. It kind of brings all of these things together. One good example of meaning would be free will. Free will is something that couldn't exist without meaning because otherwise, what is will? What is desire? What is performing an action with intention if you say there is no intention and there is no meaning? That just doesn't work. In order to have free will, you have to have meaning. Your actions have to mean something. You have to have a reason for acting. Otherwise, there is no choice being made there. Otherwise, there is no will, much less free will. And so action as a whole is a choice. And following principles isn't forced. We have free will. We can choose to fall in line with this natural order of things, or we can choose not to. That is a free will choice. It only exists because there is meaning in the natural order, and there is meaning in our choices and our actions. Because of all of this, we can see that human action proves that there are preferences that someone does prefer the state of things after an action than the state of things before an action, or they prefer what the state of things will likely be after they perform an action than what the state of things would likely be if they did not perform any action, if they chose inaction. Either way, this shows that there is some sort of preference. We can see that there is meaning. We can see that there is some sort of preference. Someone prefers one thing to another, and that can be directly derived from this aspect of human action. Now, when we do this, we can see that if there are preferences, and we can prove that there are preferences and that people do act towards their preferences, then we can see that there is a choice there, whether to choose to act toward a certain goal or not to choose to act. If we are making a decision and we are going for a certain preference, then we know there is a choice between one thing or another, or else none of the things before this argument would be in existence. But if we have proven that all of these things exist, then we have proven that there is choice. We have proven that there is free will, and we have shown that not only is there meaning in the natural order, but that us as human beings and as individual entities and life forms within the natural order, we all have free will. We have some sort of choice to make towards certain preferences and that our natural inclination is toward a preference towards the natural order when you look at nature as a whole. Now, there are plenty of exceptions to that rule, especially with humanity, and there are reasons for that. But when you look as a whole for the whole natural order, we can see that things within the natural order in general preference 
the state of the natural order than a state of disorder, a state that is in contrast to this natural order, and that things in general will make a free will choice towards that. There will be meaning behind the actions that steers things towards this natural order, and this natural order itself has meaning, and these principles show what that meaning is. Now, I know that this is still fairly high level when I'm talking about all of these things, but uh, this is very important foundational work because as we move on to future episodes, I will be applying these things on a very practical level, but we have to first outline what the natural order is because I'm referencing the natural order. I'm saying, well, X, Y, Z, is in line with the natural order, and therefore that's what we should do. Well, if you don't know what the natural order is, and we haven't clearly defined that and shown that it is true, then that statement doesn't really mean much. And so that's what we're doing here is defining this natural order. Now, I was planning on doing the entire thing, but it's already been well over an hour of me monologuing about the natural order. And so I will cut off here. And in the next episode, I will talk about the dark side of the natural order, which will be a little shorter than the light side, but it does show the opposites of these principles, and that would make sense. Light is the opposite of dark. So within the dark side of the natural order, it always perverts the other principles of the natural order, the light principles. And so you have these principles of death, which is a perversion of existence. You have predation, which is a perversion of the principles of time. You have chaos, which is a perversion and the opposite of order. And under the category, under the principle of chaos, deceit is a good example here that's a perversion of meaning and free will. And so we'll get into the examples for all those things and what all those things mean, but that is the dark side. Then I also want to talk a little bit about symbolism as a whole, because that's something that gets used a lot. Again, I'm, I'm using symbolism when I say the light and the dark. That is symbolism. And so I want to talk about what that is. The light, the dark, the land, the sky, the sea, the underground, uh, the tree. That's symbolism that I've used many times. All of these are different aspects of symbolism that are very useful, but it is also very helpful to tie them into the natural order and to define them clearly so that we know how we are using them and how they apply and how they can help us better understand these principles of the natural order. So that's what we'll be getting into in the next episode. I also do promise that eventually we will get out of philosophy and theology and these type of more esoteric conversations and get more into some very practical and actionable aspects of all of these different topics and concepts and things. We are really going to talk about the real world and a realistic view of things and how to apply them and how the early church, again, that's our example here, how they applied them and how we, as people involved with more alternative ways of doing things, involved with maybe a resistance movement or building up resilience to uh, issues within the system. Let's say there's chaos in the system that might be in the future, and we want resilience against that. Uh, again, because we want to be more in line with the natural order and actually have order and actually have profit and actually have life. Those are important things to us. And so this is why we are 
acting in ways that might be contrary to how the majority of society systems today are acting. And I can give some real world examples. We'll talk about action here. We'll talk about how the early church actually acted within their society. We'll really get into some of this stuff, but that will be later. So kind of like in season one, I gave this caveat a few times that, hey, eventually we'll get out of history. I'm sorry, but if you're not into history, wait, we will get out of it and get into more current events and future events. And I'll say the same thing for this season, that if you're not into philosophy or theology or anything like this, hang in there because we will get out of that after eh, probably a few episodes, but um, we will get out of it eventually and get into some more practical and actionable aspects of these different things. But setting down the groundwork and the foundation for these principles, for the natural order, for the philosophy behind the thoughts and actions of the early church, it's really going to tie everything together. So Hopefully that's something that you can work through. A lot of people either like the philosophy or like the actionable stuff, but a lot of times there is not a lot of correlation between the two where people like both of them equally. So you're probably either going to prefer one side or the other, but I ask that you sit through both because they are both extremely important for the whole. As a kind of random side note, I did an interview with another podcast, I guess, a few days ago, as of this recording at least, and that will be out sometime soon. It's The plan is, at least, that it will release much further on within that podcast because of the way he structured his seasons. He's kind of like me. He's fairly structured. He has seasons. He builds on the information and builds out arguments. And I really like that aspect of his show as well. But apparently he does typically release um, the interview in video form on YouTube way ahead of time after he does the interview and gets it edited. And so that content will be out there very early. And then it'll actually appear on his podcast when it's fit to appear according to the structure of his seasons and outlines. And so when that does appear on YouTube, I will let you know and give you a heads up on that. So you can go to that. The podcast is the fourth way. So he's talking about Christianity and a Christian view of things like violence and things like the state and government and how that should be viewed from a Christian perspective. And he does talk a little bit about the early church and some examples there, as well as some theology. And so if you're into that kind of thing, then I would highly recommend that podcast as well. Mine is not necessarily focused on religion and theology, although I know we have gotten into that a lot more than previous seasons where we hardly ever got into any of that, but that is not my main focus, whereas that is his main focus. I also have another interview that I am doing tonight on a different podcast, and so I will let you know about that one as well. And there was one that released... I guess maybe since the last episode, I don't know if I mentioned this last time or not, but there is the You're Talking Over Me podcast, Y-E-R, Talking Over Me, and that would be with Adam Patrick, and I released an episode on there with all of the historical cycles and social cycle theories all basically crammed into one episode and how all of that works. So if you're interested in that, whether you have listened to my previous episodes on those topics or not, I would definitely recommend that. He's also had a lot of other really good guests on. So if you go back through his archive, there's probably some things that will definitely appeal to you. So I would recommend that as well. And again, I'll keep you updated as I do more and more things. And as these get released, I'll try to release them also on the various support platforms like Patreon and Subscribestar. 
So I will give a plug here then for those supporters. Thank you very much for supporting the show financially. I am able to do the show completely off of listener support, and that is something that means a lot to me. It definitely gives me more motivation to get into it because I'm not having to fork over my own money. I do have to fork over my own time, and it definitely takes a lot to do all of this stuff, but I am at least able to cover the costs of it thanks to your support, and I greatly appreciate that. I know a lot of you are supporting mainly just because you want to support me and the work that I am doing and not necessarily that you want any extra perks or benefits. And that's something that also means a lot to me. Although you can claim these perks and benefits, the majority of people actually don't. So uh, I was kind of surprised by that, but that seems to be the way that it is. A lot of people just want to donate a small amount monthly to help support this show so that I can produce this content and do so without spending my own money. And that's about it. So thank you very much for that. If anybody else wants to do so, please see the Patreon page or the subscribe star page. Patreon is much more user-friendly and a smoother interface there for you, the user. But Patreon has also censored various podcast and content. And so if you don't want to support that outlet, then go to Subscribestar, who is definitely not on the censorship train. Although the experience on there is not as easy to deal with. It's harder for me to upload things on there. Some things I can't upload. I just have to upload a link and it's not as user-friendly and engaging on there. But those are your two options. If you want to go the direct route for a third way, that would be cryptocurrency. You can use the addresses that I've posted in the show notes or send me an email and I can send you one directly. And you can send me cryptocurrency and support the show in that form directly. No one gets a cut of that, but you do have to remember to do so every month if you want to. And you will also get all the same perks as long as you let me know who you are instead of just cryptocurrency randomly appearing in my wallet and me not knowing who that's from or who that is. So that is where we are. I will also say thank you for any reviews or ratings that have come up since the last time I have checked that. Thank you very much for those. Those are really important as people are searching for the shows. They want to see positive reviews and get a feel for what the show is. And so that is very helpful when you do so. But it is also very helpful just in general to listen to the show. The more downloads, the more listens that this show gets, the higher up on the priority list it gets. And right now I am not very high up on the priority list, but maybe one day I will do some marketing and maybe as I do more interviews on other shows, we'll get some more listeners and kind of spread this content at a greater level. And that would be really good. I think it's important content and I know you do too. So thank you very much for all of your support. I will be back next time with more on the natural order. Thank you for hanging in there for a slightly longer episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. I'm out. Peace. This has been our foundations podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.